free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at LeBanks, St Samson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Next word next week, but the first word this week. And it's awareness. I just feel so strongly that we're... And if you realise the days in which we're living, some of the days, some of the shaking that's going on, and I just think we need to have an awareness, or maybe another word is we need to kind of wake up, if you like, to, to what's going on around us. And this was, if you like, the, the prayer of the psalmist. And I'm not, don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole psalm. Psalm 119. <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole psalm, I just want to read a verse from it. And it's just the kind of verse there that I think kind of fits in with with what I'm trying to share with you today. I think we're living in very critical days. So much of what you, what's coming aware, there's almost this sense that, almost, dare I say it, that maybe the second coming is nearer than what we kind of really realise. There's a lot of things, a lot of things are going on, a lot of prophetic things are coming out. And so we need to almost be aware of those things, to create an awareness. And this is what the, the psalmist prayed for his own life in Psalm Verse 125, so as you can see, it's a long psalm. It says, I am your servant. Give me discernment that I might understand your statutes. Is that prayer there? Give me discernment. In other words, give me awareness of really what's going on. Help me to discern, to recognise and see really what is taking place. Because if we're not aware of things, we can miss what God's seeking to do. How many of you have ever... You know, it's, when you sleep, isn't it amazing? Caris is nearby. I remember Caris, when she used to sleep, she used to sleepwalk. And she just would be totally unaware. She'd say things, she'd... She'd almost try and open doors. I remember one, one particular. She was trying to walk down into the cellar in the middle of the night. And she'd just walk. And you could, have, you could have a conversation with her. And she wouldn't be aware of what she was saying or what she was doing. We used to be concerned that she'd kind of walk out, the, walk out the house or something because she would just be totally unaware of what she was doing. And you'd talk to her the day after. And she wouldn't remember anything she said, anything she did. She'd just be totally unaware of it. Because in that state of sleep, there was almost... Lack of consciousness. I mean, Angie says I snore. I don't believe a word of that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, when you're asleep, you're, not, you're just not conscious of things. You're not aware of things around you. And this is what the, the psalmist is praying, saying, help me not live a life that's, that's unaware of things that's going on. If we're not aware of things, we can miss almost God-given opportunities. We can miss all kinds of, of things God's doing because we're not aware of what's taking place. It's incredible promises in that book. Who think of all the promises are in that book? All the incredible things that God has made available to us. And yet we can live our lives unaware of all the promises, of all the abilities, of all the, the resources that God's made available to us. And we can live our lives totally and utterly unaware of what God's made available to us. And so the psalmist is praying, help me not to live my life unaware Give me an ability to discern and and to recognise and to be aware of your presence, God. Don't let me miss opportunities. Sometimes, if we're not aware, God can give us opportunities that we miss because we're not aware of the opportunities God's given to us. 
We can miss moments that, are, that God has given to us because we're unaware that there were moments that God gave us those times to do. Sometimes we can lose sight of, of, the, of the days in which we're living because we're unaware of what is taking place. And so I want to say, let this be our prayer. God, cause us to live a life of, of spiritual awareness. We're in a service even now, and there's things that often are taking place that we're not even aware it's taking place. Angels could be here. God could be speaking to hearts, and we're not aware that he's speaking to hearts. Even in the dynamics of a service like this this morning, who knows what's really taking place that we can't see, that we are unaware of it. And often we can live our lives with a a bland unawareness and miss out so much of what God's doing around us. Sometimes if we don't realise the the, the unawareness we have, we don't realise how that can devastate us, how we can... That can so affect us to live a life of unawareness. An unawareness, because that can have a power over us. And we become unaware of what's taking place and, and live a life that, that just is so unaware of what God is doing. Unaware of the purpose of God. Unaware of the plan of God. Unaware of the presence of God. Unaware of what God is doing. Because we lack spiritual discernment. And so the psalmist prays, God, give me a spiritual awareness. Help me to be aware of your presence. Help me to be aware of your purposes. Help me to be aware of your promises in my life. Help me to build a life of awareness. Because when I build a life of awareness, it's then I can make an impact in all kinds of ways. And you can see all the, the tragic situations of that throughout the Bible. Remember Eli? He was unaware that God was speaking to Samuel. He didn't realise that God was speaking and told him to go back to bed because he was unaware that God was talking to the boy. Elijah, his servant, was unaware when, when all the army was about to come upon them and destroy them. He was unaware of the spiritual forces and the angels and all the, the, the resources that God had made available to him. And because he, he was unaware, he panicked at the size of the army. Jacob said, that God was in this place. God was awesome. He was in that place, but I was unaware of it. I didn't recognise. I was not spiritually aware that God was in that place. So often we can live our lives not recognising that God was here and we missed it. On the road to Emmaus, the Bible says the disciples were unaware that Jesus came in their midst. In the Old Testament, one of the problems was that the Bible says that the people had a veil over their, over their eyes. They didn't recognize. And when Jesus came, all the prophetic, if you like, words he fulfilled, all the miracles he performed, they were unaware who was in their midst. They knew the Bible better than anybody. But when the Messiah came, because of a veil of a blindness over their eyes, they were unaware who he was. And Jesus said to the people, he said, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And because of that lack of awareness, in seeing you can't see, in hearing you can't hear. 
Because you've lost your ability to discern. You've lost your ability to be aware of what I'm doing. And how often we can just live our lives totally unaware of the spiritual perspective. Almost a blindness, a deafness. I want to quote something from Billy Graham. He wrote this in in 2012. And it's interesting, what he's saying here in 2012, so many other great spiritual leaders have said very similar things. People like David Wilkinson, people like John Piper. And I'm not talking about crazy way out prophets, if you like. I'm talking about men who are well-respected, men who are honoured, men who have got a lot of years of Christian leadership. Listen to what Billy Graham said. And he's speaking to, to, to American context, but I think it could be true of our own nation, of our own situation. And I said before, he wrote this in 2012. He says, Some years ago, my wife Ruth was reading the draft of a book I was writing. When she finished a section describing a terrible downward spiral of our nation's moral standards and the idolatry of worshipping false gods such as technology and sex, she startled me by exclaiming, If God doesn't punish America, he will have to apologise to Sodom and Gomorrah. She was probably thinking of the passage in Ezekiel where God tells why he brought those cities to ruin. Now this was the sin of Sodom. She and her daughter were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore I did away with them, as you have seen. I wonder what Ruth would think of America if she was alive today. In the years since she made that remark, millions of babies have been aborted. And our nation seems largely unconcerned, self-centred, indulgent pride and lack of shame over sin are now emblems of American lifestyle. Just a few weeks ago, a prominent city in in the South, Christian chaplains who served the police department were ordered no longer to mention the name of Jesus in prayer. It is reported that during a recent police-sponsored event, the only person allowed to pray was someone who addressed the being in the room. Some similar scenarios are now commonplace in towns across America. Our society strives to avoid any possibility of offending anyone except God. Yet the further we get from God, the more the world spirals out of control. And we can see what he said there. Isn't it true? We can see all kinds of instances in our own nation. And it's really what I think the warning, if you like, the the word that God is telling us, is to be aware, to to awaken, if you like, of really the the things that are kind of going on around us. It's interesting that in the second coming, we are told almost there were two people, one of them was completely unaware. One, if you like, is working in the field, and one's taken, and the other one's completely unaware. Another one, two people asleep at night, man and wife. One's taken, the other's left. This unawareness that's so common and, and so affects people. This unawareness. But I think one of the things, if you like, that that causes us to live a life of unawareness. There's the right term, indifference and complacency. It's indifference and complacency that causes us, if you like, to to live a life of of, of not having awareness. Let me give you one verse, Proverbs 1, 32. I just want us to think about this. I think the big challenge to the the Western church is, is this sense of complacency which leads us to, to live a life of unawareness. Proverbs 1 and verse 32. 
for the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. In other words, often when we live lives that are complacent and indifferent, we often then become unaware. I think complacency kills potential, kills opportunity, kills the purpose of God in our life. That's why we need a spiritual awareness of the purpose of God. And I think complacency is not something that just happens in the moment. It's something that can kind of creep up on us. Complacency accepts the way things are. Almost we reject the way that things could be. Almost it, it creates this sense that we begin to just accept things. We just accept the way things are. We accept nothing's ever going to change. We accept that, you know, that, that Guernsey will always be as it's always been. And, and, and situations will be always as they always been. The, the things in my life won't change. They'll be as they always have been. I think complacency almost loses that, that, that sense that, that we can actually believe that God can change and, and do amazing things. Because we learn to accept the challenges. We learn to accept the, the difficulties. We just never seem to never believe they can change because we get to a point of complacency. We accept the way things are. Someone said this, today's acceptance becomes tomorrow's standard. Isn't that powerful? Think about it. Today's acceptance becomes today's standard. You think of the standards. You know, there's things going on now that 10 years ago would have shocked us. We'd have been shocked 10 years ago. But because we began to accept it, it then became the standard of society today because we accepted it. We got complacent. And so what was, if you like, what was yesterday's acceptance now has become today's standard. And I term it this way. It almost becomes what we term as the, the middle ground. And middle ground, if you like, is where lukewarmness sits. It's where half-heartedness sits. It's where giving God your leftovers sits. It's where we live with mediocre and, and, and it's where going through the motion sits. And I found one of the things that God really stands against, really, throughout the Bible, is a indifference. It is a complacency that God really stands against. He says to the church of Laodicea, and you think of the power of this. He said, I would rather you be cold than lukewarm. So I want you to be on fire, but I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. Why would that be? Because lukewarm is what middle ground, when you think about it, isn't it? It's neither hot nor it's neither cold. It's middle ground. And here's the problem with middle ground. Here's the problem with lukewarmness is that you don't realise the truth of the condition. When you're cold, you know it. You're aware of it. You recognise it. It's when you look warm that you think that's okay. And so you're not aware of it. You, 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 you begin to accept it because you think it's the norm, it's the way things are. And so we get complacent because we don't recognise the condition. What a powerful thing God said to Remember it says that Esau, because of his complacency, he gave away his inheritance. He gave away his birthright. And God says something that almost shocks us when you read in Romans 9. He says this, he says, he says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What's that about? It's not that God hates the person of Esau. He hates what Esau represents. 
He hates that condition of heart. And so God speaks strongly against that. And so we lose this sense that when we get to a place of this complacency, if you like, we lose the, the, the sense of, 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 of the power, if you like, of even having a conversation with someone. The difference that we could make in someone's life. It causes us to be almost numb to people around us. Yet before, we would always look for opportunities to bless. Always look for opportunities to speak. Always look for opportunities to reach out to someone. But when we get into a place of complacency, we lose that sense to do that. We, we lose that sense to, to want to touch somebody's life, to, to want to, to, to speak words into people's lives, to, to, to move and, and be a blessing to someone. Because we get complacent, we lose the ability and, and the sense to touch someone's life. And complacency always wants to live on that easy street of, of being comfortable. And I, I think the focus of, if you feel like the focus of our society almost is this, I really think this, it's almost to be comfortable and be in need of nothing. That's almost the goal of so many people love. You say, what's your goal in life? My goal in life, if you like, is to be comfortable and be in need of nothing. Isn't that the, the truth of what we see in our society? That's almost people's goal for the whole of their life. To live a life that's at ease and be in need of nothing. And Jesus came and he tells a parable where a man who said that. He said, I'm going to build bigger barns. And when I build bigger barns, I will not be in need of anything. And then we're told God speaks and says, you, very, you fool, this very night your life is required of you. He says to his soul, I will take it easy. What kind of things do we say to our souls that excuse sometimes our complacency, that excuse sometimes our, the things that we do, that excuse us and make us feel better? Well, often we can, we can say things to ourselves that cause us to draw back from awareness because we're excusing the condition that we have. We're speaking to our souls. We're, we're saying words that, that, that blind us from, from what God is trying to do and what saying say. I think complacency also lulls us into a false sense of security. Makes you think that God's not going to intervene in your life, good or bad. We often think that things will, will never be a change. And we just begin to, to come to a point where there's this sense that nothing really is ever going to alter in my life because I've got to a point that I'm just complacent to, about the way things are. And we can see how, 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 how much we want to rise up against this. How many can see this? We've got to rise up against it. Let me say something else about complacency. It causes us to lose the ability to feel. I think there's times when you don't feel good. But the worst thing of all is when you get to a point when you don't feel anything at all. Where you don't feel moved anymore. And that's what complacency will do. It breeds a point where you actually don't feel anything anymore. The Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. And every time he was moved with compassion, something powerful happened. Every time he was moved with with compassion, somebody was healed. Somebody was raised from the dead. Something awesome happened when Jesus was moved with compassion. In other words, it was this powerful emotion 
that enabled him to make a difference. That's what God wants for us. He, He wants us to weep with those that weep. Sorrow with those that sorrow. Rejoice with those that rejoice. There's something about feeling what somebody else is going through. How many would feel that? When you feel what somebody else is going through, and you feel something of their pain, something of their their, their, their challenge, something of, of what they're going through, when you identify and feel with that, something awesome happens. But what complacency does, it robs you of your ability to feel what they're feeling. You think of it this way. It's only when you go through it, you understand something of what they're going through. Is that right? Sometimes, I actually feel, sometimes God will allow certain things to shake us because it allows the complacency to lift off us. Almost the blindness is taken from our eyes and we realise, what am I doing? What's happened to me? Why don't, I've lost my ability to feel with what people go through. I've lost my ability to sense and identify with them. And suddenly your eyes become opened. That's what God wants. That's why the psalmist prays, God, give me such an awareness. Let me give you another scripture, Acts 17, 26. Here's the story of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is in Athens. He's looking around, he's wandering around. And he says something very interesting in Acts 17, verse 16. He says, now while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. When he saw the city was given over to idols, something in him was provoked when he saw what was taking place. There's loads of things that can provoke us. Somebody cut you up driving. How many felt that provoked somebody? You find that in Joey, in London, Joey? Yeah, you see, provokes you. Somebody pushes in front of the queue. Where you, you know, you've waited for ages and somebody just jumps in the queue. That can provoke us, isn't that right? Somebody offends us. Somebody says things that we don't like or hurt us in some way. That can provoke us. And here's the problem sometimes. We can be provoked by the, the things that really shouldn't provoke us and yet not provoked by the things that should provoke us. That's why things like be free are amazing because that should provoke us. Is that right? What's going on in various, the the slave trade and all that sort of stuff, that thing should provoke us. I think when we feel the enemy trying to rob us of our purpose from God, that should provoke us. When we see thousands and thousands of people without Christ, how many think that should provoke us? How many think that should stir our hearts? I was just thinking about Legion. Look at that story, Legion. It kind of strikes me. Here's this man. He's in a, a tomb. And the amazing thing is the people were so complacent that it almost didn't bother them, the fact he was in a tomb and he was cutting himself up and he was totally, as they saw, totally demonized and crazy and mad and chained up. And almost they were complacent about that until Jesus comes and he casts out the demon. Remember that? And right at that point, the people said they were fearful of what took place. They were afraid of it. They almost had got to a point that now when a man's set free, that's what offends them. 
before they weren't offended by his condition. And that's what happens when complacency almost blinds us from allowing the things to provoke us that should provoke us. Things that should stir us. Things that should move us. Things that should get us absolutely stirred up like anything. We should look at Guernsey and it should stir us when we see thousands of people without Christ. It should stir us when we see some of the things, some of the the conditions, some of the the, the things that are going on in the nation. It should stir us and move us. And that's how we respond. When we're stirred, we respond. Is that right? If something stirs you, you're going to respond to it. You're going to want to do something about it when you're stirred by it and moved by it. Something is going to so provoke you, you're going to say, I'm refusing to allow this to continue anymore. But if we're never stirred, if we're never provoked, if we're never moved, we'll never respond to the challenge. And I think in these days, God is wanting to provoke us. Can you say amen? He's wanting to say, have a good look at the condition around you. Have a good look at the nation. Have a good look at what's taking place. I think we've got the ability and the power to change it. I think that we've got an awesome God that can change our our island right there in a moment. Don't you believe that? I think we've got a, a God who's so powerful and so awesome. I think we should be provoked when we see people sick because we want to see them healed. Amen? We should say, I don't want to accept that condition. I want to see God heal them. I want to see God touch them because that provokes me seeing people sick and and limited in life. I want to see them touched and healed and made whole. I want to see the glory of God impact this island. I want to see this island shaken by the very power of God. It provokes me to see the island as it is. It provokes me to see thousands and thousands of people who have no interest in God whatsoever. Something should be so stirred in us that we say, we want to make a difference. We refuse to allow this situation to carry on anymore because we're provoked of what we see around us. But complacency will always, will never allow that that provocation, if you like, to stir in your hearts. Here's the thing about complacency. It makes us feel we've gone as far as we can. Age, ability, education, personal makeup. You know, some of those things can make us feel that we've gone as far as we can go. I want to encourage you today to really believe that, that God has got... No matter, I don't care, if, I was going to say 90, some of us are 90, but I don't care if you're 205, there's still so much more that God wants to do in your life. Amen. There's still so much more that God has for you. I don't care if you've been up to the third heaven. You've seen just amazing, incredible, awesome things. There's still so much more. None of us have got it all together. Not one of us. And we need to say, God, I want to rise up. I know there's so much more that you have got for me. I think when that happens, we we realise, ask yourself, what things could I achieve if that limiting thing on my life was removed? All kinds of things can limit us in life. Inferiority can be a limitation on us. Guilt can be a limitation. Condemnation. Ask yourself, what is really limiting me and stopping me from being all that I can be in God? Whatever that is. And saying, God, this year, I'm going to ask you to remove every level of limitation on my life. So I can rise up 
and be the person that you've called me to be. You know what the only thing, you know one of the things that can limit us? Ephesians 3.16, or Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, he's able to do even far more than what we imagine or think, amen? So here's the point, when we lose expectation, when we lose that expectation, then only, the only thing that can limit you is lack of expectation. Because God has unlimited resources for anyone who's hungry and wants to press in for all that he has for them. There's nothing that God will, not, will, will withhold from the hungry heart. Nothing that God will withhold from the person that presses in and pursues him with all that's in them. Let me just bring you for, uh, 1 Peter. Bring 1 Peter 5 verse 6. How do we shake off complacency? Because I think it's a battle that all of us at some point face. It's something that can so easily come over us and affect us. I think it's a kind of spirit that often is at work. And apathy and complacency are massive battles that we have. How do we overcome that? How do we rise above it? I think here in 1 Peter 5, and I'll close with this, here are some, here are some things that help us shake off complacency. Some things that we need, some elements, some, some things that we need to shake it off. 1 Peter 5 verse 6 says, It says, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I honestly feel that if we allow those truths, those, those qualities to really get into our hearts then it will be impossible for complacency to get in. Here's the first thing we're told. He says, humble yourself. And that word, I suppose, speaks of being teachable. Allowing yourself to be corrected. Allowing yourself to be open to instruction. It means that you're, you're, you're submitted to God. And really, it comes to a point that you realise that without him, you can't do anything. That's the key to humility. No matter how talented you, you are, how much ability you have, how much giftings you have, it still comes down to this basic thing. Without him, I can do nothing. And I think that sense of, of recognising that continual need of God always keeps us in a place of, 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 of not allowing complacence to get over us. We get complacent because we don't really feel we need God. <laughs> We've got everything together. We've got everything kind of fairly connected and things are going well in our lives and things are, uh, you know, things are, are just great and we're, we're able to control everything. And so almost we can get to a point in life where we don't really feel we need God. And when we don't really feel we need God, what happens? We become complacent. But humility is always that condition of heart that says, God, I need you. I need you. Every moment of my life, I need you. I can't do it without you. I can't live the life you've called me to live without you. I can't be the witness you've called me to be without you. I can't pray for the sick without you. I can't make an impact in my world without you. And so I, I live a, a, a life that is continually recognising I need God. God, I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your divine intervention. I need your presence. I need your power. I need you. Without him, we can do nothing. 
And that can be a great statement, but we've got to live with, with an awareness of that. We've got to live with, with a burning yearning in our heart that says, every day, God, I need you. That person at work, Lord, that I want to witness to, I need you to enable me to do it. Lord, I want my life to be changed and transformed, and I need you to do it. So you live your life with just that awareness that every moment you're humbling yourself in the sense you recognize your continual need of God. And that, what that happens is mean, it means you develop a God consciousness. All the time you're just conscious of God. Because if you need him, then you become conscious of him being there. Is that right? If I don't need him, then I'm not really conscious if he's there or not. But when I do need him, I become ever conscious of his presence with me. Because I recognise without him, I can't do it. And because I'm doing it, that means I'm conscious of him being there with me. How many can see that? And so, Peter says, if you really want to really live a life of awareness, the first thing is humble yourself. And the second thing he tells you to do is cast your cares on him. How many love that? It's a picture of men of fishing. And you cast it out. And yeah. Or another one. I, remember, I thought this the other day. Have you ever, ever seen that toy? It's called the bomb. Have you ever seen that? And you get it and you've got to pass it on quick because if you don't, it explodes. Have you ever played that game? There's this sense of God, I'm just casting it all on you. I refuse to take that care. I refuse to take that worry. I refuse to have that anxiety in myself. I'm casting it on you. You think about it. The thing that moves God is faith. And faith is confidence in him, trust in him. We trust him with our circumstances. We trust him with our problems. We trust him with our burdens. In other words, if I'm not casting it out on him, that means I'm trying to deal with it myself. Is that right? I'm not trusting him. I'm not being confident in him. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, God, I'm getting rid of you. I'm casting it on you. I'm not going to take it on myself. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to get anxious about it. I'm going to give it all to you. Now, here's the thing. Most of us probably don't have a problem with doing that. Our problem is we tend to take it back. Is that right? We cast it on God for a moment, and then something goes wrong, or someone says something, or someone does something, and we take the whole thing back again. And the key to all this is casting it on the Lord and leaving it there with him. Refusing to take it back. Whenever the devil tries to offer it to you again, say, it's no longer my problem. It no longer belongs to me. It's no longer my issue. I've cast it onto the Lord. Take it up with him. Can you say amen? Casting all your cares onto the Lord. One of the great songs is, take Cast your cares upon him and leave it there. Can you say amen? Here's the next thing. Sober. Be sober-minded. The word sober means be clear-minded. In other words, when someone is, is drunk, you know what, what, what? They say crazy things. They do crazy things. They, they do crazy things and say crazy things. And they haven't got a clear mind. They've, they've, lost the, they've got no clear mind about what they're doing. They, and they kind of stagger around. I love what it says about Abraham. He didn't stagger at the promise of God. He was so aware of God, so conscious of God's presence, he refused to stagger at the presence of God. And I think we need to, 
refuse the influences of the world outside, that, that spirit of worry and anxiety and fear and anger, those things there are there to try to influence you. They try to, to affect you so you don't, you're not clear-minded, you're not sober-minded, you can't see clearly because the worry grips your mind. You can't see clearly because you feel anxious. You can't see clearly because, because there's anger there or there's fear there. And you can't see your situation with a clear mind because those things are influencing your mind of the way you respond, of the way you react. So the Bible says, be clear-minded. Don't allow anything to influence the way that you think. Think on the things of God. Can you say amen? And the next thing it goes on to say is be vigilant. Because your enemy, like a roaring lion, is seeking who he may devour. I remember 20-so years ago, you could just walk into an airport. Remember that? You know, they wouldn't almost even ask you your name. You just walk through. Yeah, I'm going to... Nowadays, man, you, you know, you got to... Literally, you've got, you got, you got to strip naked just to go through sometimes. It's just on the things, it's just all the time. How many have had that? You, you seem to take everything you, you have that you know off, and you go through, and it still goes off. You're thinking, I've got no clothes on, how can it still go off, sort of thing? Because there's an awareness, and they're vigilant because they realise that terrorism is so real in our day. How many would realise the devil, if you like, if nothing else, is good at what he does? And the best thing he does of all is deception. He deceives. That's how he operates. That's how he works, by deception. Shall I tell you how powerful this deception is? He deceived Adam and Eve into thinking that even though they had Garden of Eden, they walked with God in the, in the nearness of the day, he still deceived them into thinking there's, there's still more they hadn't had. And the enemy comes to deceive you. It comes to deceive you, so you lose your fire, so you lose your, your God-given awareness. And it says, be vigilant, be aware. Be aware that we are in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. The enemy is seeking to, to doubt the fire. He's coming against us in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of forms. Be, be diligent, be aware of his activities. Don't allow him to deceive you. Don't allow him to, to make you complacent. Just be on alert. Be on active alert. And then finally it says, resist him. And the reason why you can resist him is simply because of this great truth that needs to burn in your heart. Is that Jesus has already won. You resist him out of an awareness that the cross has already sealed his defeat. You know what I love about watching sports matches? I love to see a sports match when I already know the end result. I really do. I, 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 it just makes it so much easier to watch something and you know your team has already won. Amen. That just makes it so good. All the tension goes. It's just so great to watch a match that you know it's already been won. If it hasn't been won, then I'm not watching it. Amen. <laughs> and it's just cool to watch that. We need to have that same attitude when we come to our spiritual lives. Jesus, you've already won. You've already won it. You've already defeated the enemy. And almost that creates in you a new awareness, a new strength, a new purpose in your life. Because you know that Jesus has already won the victory. That's the greatest awareness that each of us needs. I think that the deception of the enemy is to make you think that you'll never defeat that. That thing will always defeat you. That thing will always overcome you. 
Because you've never had an awareness that Jesus has already faced it and defeated it once and for all. The victory's already been won. I've watched the film and I've seen the end result. He won, amen? And we've got to kind of get that in our consciousness, in that awareness. Because the enemy deceives you into thinking that's not really happened. That you... That Jesus has not really fully defeated it. Or that you've got to try and defeat it in your power and strength. But when that awareness grows in your heart, and you live in that place of, of recognising that you overcome because he's already overcome it, then you're going to be amazing. You're going to see amazing things happen in our life. Let's really start this year saying, God, give to me awareness. Help not comfortability to grip my heart. Help me not to become apathetic in my heart. But Lord, I pray, just stir me with your fire. You know what fire does? It stirs you, it moves you. Let's just come before him right now as we just close today. Let's open our hearts. Let's, let's shake off any, anything of, of acceptance of any issue in your life, whatever that is. Saying, God, I'm not going to accept that as it is right now. I'm believing you to change it. I'm believing you to transform it. Sometimes we can have loved ones. I just feel strong in my heart. That maybe they've been away from the Lord for so long and almost we kind of accept that's the way it is. But I just pray this year God will stir us. That we refuse to accept it as it is. Maybe it's another challenge in your life. An illness, a challenge. Maybe something's been like that for a long, long time. Ask God to stir you. Say, God, so stir my heart that I will refuse to accept that as it is. Don't let me become comfortable about that condition. But stir my heart, provoke my heart, God, to believe you for change. To believe you to see a, an incredible move. You, you would change that situation. Just reach out to now as much. Bring those loved ones, those situations, those circumstances. And say, in this coming year, I'm believing you for change. I'm believing that the, when I come to the end of this year, that situation will totally change and alter. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.